Like book club meets letterbox meets greatest hits meets happy hour, but all about TV. Every week, three friends make and debate the case if a show is truly a sense of Listen for the hot takes and stay for the camaraderie. I'm Ezra. I'm Mallory. I'm Gina. And this is The Essentials. This week, we're talking about This is America, a limited series that ran on FX on Hulu from April 2020 to May 2020. As always, a general warning about spoilers, we're going to be discussing everything. Does that really ruin a TV show? We don't think so. Now let's get into it. This is America is an American drama television miniseries created by Dobby Waller about the political movement to pass the Equal Rights Amendment, starring Kate Blanchett, Rose Byrne, Uzo Aduba, Elizabeth Banks, Margot Martindale, John Slattery, Tracy Ullman, and Sarah Bolson. Blanchett plays Phyllis Schlafly, a housewife-turned-conservative activist opposed to the ERA. Woo! What a cast! What an ensemble cast. That's all I have to say. Oh, it's such a great cast. And so many of them are doing some of their best work in years. I, I like from the very beginning when uh, Kate Blanchett uh, is on the screen with John Slattery, like it was, you could tell that like he was actually like working and having fun working for the first time in years. I know it's been a couple of years since Mad Men and I always feel bad for John Slattery. He's kind of just typecast as older white male because of his premature uh gray hair because he's been gray for about two-thirds of his life if you watch mm-hmm. sex in the city there's like a very funny arc with him and he's in his late 30s early 40s when he did that episode and he's supposed to play a 50 year old mm-hmm. so it's really funny and in Mad Men, he kind of plays someone in his mid to late 60s and he was in his 40s at the time Let's not forget him in Spotlight. He was fantastic in that. Oh, yes. How could I forget Spotlight? Love that movie. <laughs> okay, with him being typecast. He does it so well. He <laughs> He's like our Kira Knightley. Yes. I love Kira, but she only will play in corset dramas from this 18th century. And he does like 60s, 70s. I'm okay with it. Yeah, me too. Also, can we talk about Rose Byrne? Oh, um, man. Just, ah, uh, so good. As TV concierge said, Rose Byrne and those glasses, because those glasses are amazing. Such a dead ringer for Gloria Steinem. I think all of the leads are dead ringers for their historical counterpart. Yeah, they all look very much like the people that they're portraying it was slightly obviously they're not the resemblance is not 100% but I'd say it's like a close 90% yeah had any of you ladies known who like Phyllis Schlafly was and and were you guys like familiar with the equal rights amendment before uh watching watching the show I unfortunately went to a high school where American history was a joke and we basically blew through the 60s the 70s so I wasn't actually very familiar with this part of history I mean I know like the basics of it but I found myself doing a lot of research because I was just blown away by the history 
Yeah, and you know me, a student of history. I I love this era. I know a lot about the ERA, but I didn't know much about the Stop ERA movement and the opposition. That was like all new territory for me because I just kind of like focused when I was studying in school on like bra burning and the 70s were a magical time to be a woman. <laughs> Feminism was at its peak. Well, and, sorry. And like learning about Shirley Chisholm, like my parents instilled the love for Shirley Chisholm in me from a young age because mm-hmm. I'm an American, she's Jamaican, my dad was always talking about her, they grew up, they were in Brooklyn at the same time as she was the, the congresswoman for that district. So I knew who she was and I had like a lot of love for her growing up. So it was really great to see her life explored. Uh, I was just so fascinated by the Phyllis Schlafly. And as I was like watching it, I had Wikipedia next to me, just researching every single thing. Like, it's just really scary. Like the big, I'll probably say this a billion times. It's scary how, how much has happened since and how little has changed. And especially seeing that, like Phyllis Schlafly's last book was about the conservative case for Trump is the title and and how she campaigned tirelessly for him and just seeing kind of the the roots of the conservative movement uh, through her eyes and through the Stop ERA movement was just a gut punch while watching it. Yeah, it's really interesting to watch the show now, four years after the 2016 election it was slightly enraging it's a really well done show it's just it really it really hits you in the gut I think there must be a black hole in my brain for kind of that era um I knew of the equal rights amendment and that it hadn't passed and that I and I knew like Gloria Steinem existed and was somewhat infamous for Ms. Magazine and for her reporting But beyond that, um, this show really opened my eyes to, like, how much um, I didn't know about that era of American politics, um, American activism, and uh, feminism at large. Like, Like, I still find myself, like, having a difficult time understanding, like, First wave, second wave, third wave feminism. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like on- third wave. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. I, I do know that. Um, no thanks to Lana Del Rey. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was really, I, I'm, I'm glad for that this show exists um, and to learn about what happened through the vehicle of this show. Um, I think it covered so many major beats of, of what happened that it, it's a good foundation for me, like you guys to learn more about what actually happened. And so, um, I didn't do that much wikipedia but after every episode, I really appreciated um, the LA Times uh, recurring series on what was real and what was not real, um, and their breakdown of every episode um, by, uh, by that division. Yeah, like, the whole thing that was really fascinating to me is that like, 
the ERA wasn't passed. And I always, that always stood out to me when I was in school, how all this work went into getting it passed and ratified. And then it was never fully ratified because it was three states short. And so that was always confusing to me. And I just love how this show delved into that entire process. And it was kind of like a study in civics as well, like learning about how, how an amendment is brought to the constitution and, mm-hmm. and the crazy bureaucratic steps that need to be taken to make it be signed into law. The fact that it needed 38 states and they, they clearly had a groundswell. Like, why couldn't we just have stopped at 30 states? Why 38? Like, it was just really interesting to learn about these crazy archaic rules and regulations that our country still abides by and, and and what happened. I'm so ashamed. I didn't even know what the ERA was. <laughs> I, I, again, I, in high school, we just, we didn't talk about these things. So going into the show, I was, I was not expecting what I saw. And I learned a lot from it, especially since it led me down like a history black hole. Yeah. Like I learned more watching the show than I did in high school. <laughs> it was a paragraph in like, in my US history text. Like the 70s was maybe a chapter and the ERA was a paragraph about how it came very close to being ratified and didn't and fell short and to this day in 2005 at that point it hadn't received the 38 uh, state majority it just seemed so easy for my history teacher to make jokes about feminism she was like oh you know there was a lot of bra burning and I was like that's it so (laughs) yeah it was more like she painted a quick caricature of it because we were like gearing up for the AP US history exam and I guess she didn't have time to teach the rest of history I don't know (laughs) (laughs) what an indictment of uh the american education system yeah Yeah. exactly like i'm really glad we we basically stopped in the late 60s and then that was it oh my god (laughs) so much has happened since then you know (laughs) it was it was wild to like my mind was blown watching the show it was like who is this woman campaigning against these other cool women and there's so much more to this wave of feminism. I can't even tell you which wave it is either. I can never get them right. But like, wow, so much happened. So many important things. And they were fighting for important things. And it, it, it was really cinematic and really cool to watch. And I learned so much. And I, I loved how the show didn't like, shy away from the, the other political movements that were happening at the time. So there was like black rights happening and black power and the Black Panthers that was happening in like the 1970s. There's also the start of the gay, uh, gay, lesbian, transgender, I'm not going to say everything movement. (laughs) And it was just really interesting to see how those different teams jostled against each other within now to be like, no, we should be talking about women's rights. No, we should talk about about lesbian rights. No, we should be talking about black women rights. And I loved how the show didn't shy away from that. And it was just really great to see them tackle that issue. I also really appreciated that they weren't afraid to reveal the nitty gritty of feminism. Like Betty for Dan was very much anti 
lesbian and I didn't know that. Neither did I. Mm -hmm. It was was nice to see like, hey, it's not all perfect. Like there's clearly discrimination within this group that's trying to fight for equal rights. And also the, the like exploring Republicanism within the feminist movement uh, Elizabeth Banks' character, the name escapes me. She was like a real life member of the Carter administration as a Republican, and she was a, a staunch feminist. And I just thought that was really interesting, like a time before the political divide. <laughs> and actually doing work. That was something that really struck me about um, so much of the show is that you saw the very slow and very laborious work of um, community organizing at many different levels, um, from Phyllis Schlafly starting with just amongst our friends and um, gathering women in like sewing circles and um, putting together bake sales. In phone trees, yes. So many, so many shots of like Rolodex cards. Um, and then all the way to mass marches and filling out stadiums and, and um, you know, taking over the city of Houston so that all the hotel reservations are all amok. Um, I think it really showed the, the work that goes into um, so mass social change at... Um, at, at that large level. And, and so it was very sobering in that regard. Yeah, completely agree. Can't just tweet and expect change. <laughs> no. <laughs> Jill, Jill Ruckelhouse, that was her name. She was oh, yes. Special White House assistant uh, in for by Gerald Ford. Just, yeah, it was crazy to see a Republican working with Democrats to come together and make something happen. Uh, and and it was, I don't know, like it was also kind of like refreshing, but sad to see um, the way that she crossed the aisle to work and the way that folks were engaging. I think um, in a lot of ways right now in our current era, we're, we're so used to um, one party just filibustering the other and um, giving no quarter, but when both sides will give no quarter, like there, there is no progress. Whereas I think back then, um, people weren't at so at such extreme ends of the political spectrum, and there was so much more. Um, consideration and and you could also say like politicking of um negotiating what was critical and what could be conceded and what would be um fought another day but not that day yeah that's why i really liked sarah polson's brief speech in the houston episode after her night of psychedelic awesomeness I really like that she you know that night she sees the women of now 
discussing certain things and she sees that they actually have certain things in common. And then the next morning she raises these concerns to the women in stop ERA, like saying, you know, we agree on certain things. Why can't we do certain things together? And those women just kind of ignore her and walk out. And it was, it was so painful to watch. I was like, wow, there was a time when, yeah, the two parties really did have overlapping and now that's not really a thing anymore yeah well I thought that Sarah Paulson and her character which is like a composite character ironically she kind of was a real life person a number of Phyllis Schlafly's friends and neighbors who were stop ERA board members joined now so I thought it was really interesting that they kind of combined all of those people into one amazing character played by Sarah Paulson. I'm a huge Sarah Paulson stan. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything that she does is just magical and she gets, she deserves everything that she wins. Every single thing that she wins, she deserves it. So I've been saying so- that since she was in Down With Love, I have been. Yes, <laughs> I, she was so good. No one, no one knows that movie. Oh, I love that movie. So it's a classic. It's one of my favorite movies. Oh, talk about a stylistic. Like fake 1960s pillow talk musicals. Oh. More oh. movies like that, please. Yeah, but we digress. Sarah Paulson, amazing. I think that that episode, uh, episode seven, is just like essential viewing to me because doing a Quaalude trip with Christian pills. <laughs> Oh man, Sarah Paulson. So good. Huh? That was the drug. She was on Quaaludes. Yeah. Oh, okay. And she also can sing. I didn't realize that. Clearly, she needs to be in a movie musical because, yeah, she can. She can sing. This land is your land. Yeah, I think that was my one of my favorite hours of TV in a while. It was really great to watch that episode. Because you weren't expecting what you were expecting. You thought it was just going to be a very standard historical like reenactment of the convention. And then for them to like shift focus <laughs> completely to Sarah Paulson and how she's struggling with her beliefs on feminism and then throw like a drug trip into it. It was it was beautiful. Yeah, I really appreciate how that episode wasn't what I expected. And what I expected was you would see the more nitty grittiness of Phyllis Schlafly's convention, which you didn't at all. You saw the makings of it. You saw the people marching in there. You get a sense of the volume of people there. And then you just get a quick shot of the Bibles in archive footage and you know. Like you can, having lived these last four years, we can assume what happened. Yeah. And then I I really like the slight... I'm going to assume this is a slight nod to Trump saying that his inauguration had doubled as Obama's. And she said that, like, our rally was twice as large. And it was also, was it twice as large? But was it a nod or was it them saying that this was like the beginning of the conservative right employing misinformation? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there were also moments earlier in the season when they were kind of making fake poll numbers and they were being called out on it and 
in air quotes, the Libbers did it wrong. Oh, that word Libbers just triggered me so much. But that's that's how it started, you know? Oddly enough, I want a super cut of every time Kate Blanchard <laughs> says the word Libbers because I couldn't help but laugh. Every single time. Yeah, it it's just hilarious. Because I'm just, like, picturing her speaking her natural accent and just, like, doing blooper reels of it and messing up and then breaking. <laughs> like, I would love to see that, too. It's a blooper reel of her saying livers and messing up every single time. <laughs> her Indi- Illinois, Illinois accent was so Illinois. <laughs> Very neutral. Very neutral. Low lilt. I have a lot of friends from Illinois and St. Louis. Not super nasally. I have some friends from, from Minnesota. And it's very, very nasally. But Illinois brings it down. Just basic, boring. Not Nothing there. Sorry, Illinois. <laughs> uh, did you guys have any favorite or least favorite moments during throughout the series? I think the entire series as a whole is just too good for me to like parse out favorites but Houston would be my favorite part of the series that entire episode was just stunning television I really loved the episode highlighting Ari Grainer and her uh, interview with Phyllis Schlafly where she was just cite the case cite the case yeah, I thought the debate was really well executed, just like the debate with Phyllis Schlafly and Betty Friedan. I, I really liked all the debates with Phyllis Schlafly. It was a very exhilarating couple minutes of TV. My only, one of my biggest issues with the show was how they explored her relationship with her son, the son who was gay. Yeah. I thought it was just very... It was very brief. I feel like if you took it out of the show, the show would have been fine, which shows how not well executed it was. It felt very incomplete to me. Yeah, I think they were trying to make a point because Schlafly is personally opposed to same-sex marriage. And I think I was reading somewhere that her son kind of tried to please, please her all those years. And so he was also quote-unquote against same-sex marriage and tried to go against his own beliefs to stay in the closet for as long as possible but I agree with you it was very cringeworthy to watch that relationship unfold did you guys get the sense that or not guys did you ladies get (laughs) that we're women that this show was kind of in the works for years and that they waited until Phyllis Schlafly passed to do production on it they probably definitely waited until they could get everybody that they cast like like very rarely have I watched a show and felt that everybody was like the best person that they could have possibly gotten for their role and and I think as as we started this episode talking about the the acting on this show was so tremendous I think and in a lot of ways, like if if they did have this on the back burner for a while, and um, had this in development for a long time, I appreciate the time that they took and the effort that they made to 
make this show into what it is because I think um, it really is that exceptional. And and I, I yeah. like we've seen works come out over these last four years, somewhat indirect. Uh, response to what's been happening politically and sometimes they come out too quickly and without that consideration this feels not at all reactionary but pointedly relevant it also feels like this that the producers are making a conscious effort with the timing of the release so that way it would come out well before the election so people could have time to sit with it and really think about it, <laughs> especially with the the post, uh, the epilogue notes on the screen <laughs> about how the 1970s was the apex of the feminist movement, and there's still work to be done. Just those things kind of dropped at the end really just have a lot of weight to them, and I kind of feel like the producers chose this time just so this could be top of mind when we get closer to November. I just need to say that if Tracy Ullman doesn't win an Emmy, I'm going to set my bra on fire. (laughs) She was was fantastic. I would actually like to hear who everybody loved most or the people that they loved most. I I think I was most surprised uh, by, I don't really got Wikipedia next to me. I want to pronounce the name correctly. Margot Martindale. I was most surprised by Margot Martindale because I only know her from the Americans as a really scary uh, KGB agent. So mm-hmm. just whenever I see her on screen, I kind of am scared a little bit and I kind of feel a little nervous just because Americans is an amazing show and her character is so frightening. So to see her in this show playing one of the good guys was just so surprising to me and she was fabulous and I want to learn more about her I personally don't know anything much about her as an actor apart from the Americans so seeing her in this just kind of made me want to deep dive into everything that she's ever done I didn't know much about Bella Abzug at all prior to this and at the end when they were doing like the side-by-side reels and like even the hats that they chose, like everything was just so detailed and perfect. And I would imagine if Bella was still alive and if I watched some historical films that, I, I don't know, Margot would sound exactly like Bella. Maybe the voice is exactly the same. Like she was one of my favorite parts of the show. It was just very surprising to me to see her in this type of role as a good guy, good woman. For my favorite character, I'm gonna have to agree with you. Ezra, that I think Tracy Ullman knocked it out of the park. I think so many people know her for her comedic work. One thing that really struck me in some of the press that I was reading about the show was that she really wanted to prove and demonstrate her dramatic acting chop and that she had campaigned very hard to get the role um, because so many people just viewed her as a comedic actress. Uh, first and foremost, and, and didn't believe that she could draw the depths of of the complicated life of Betty Friedan. I think like Betty Friedan and Gloria Steinem, you could probably, and Shirley Chisholm, you could probably say were the three most well-known of the historical figures portrayed, but in so many ways they've been 
very much reduced in our social consciousness to specific things. And so like Gloria Steinem is like feminist activist. Um, Betty Friedan, like author of The Feminine Mystique. And then Shirley Chisholm, like the first woman to run for president. And, and that's kind of like the beginning and the end of what you know about them. And so to get very specific episodes that really painted these women as as complete people and w- with with all of their highs and their lows um, was really rewarding to witness. I do also have to, I think, uh, give a shout out to Uzo because I think, um, it, it, or rather like I know for me, I, I take her accomplishments as an actress almost for granted. Like, like yeah. if I see that she is in a cast, like I know she will knock that character out of the park. The, the work that she did on Orange is the New Black secured her her in my mind as one of the great actresses of of like this current generation and I think she's reached that level where to a certain extent like people just like you know just assume that she's going to do great but never necessarily recognize her greatness And, and so she reminds me of other actresses like Viola Davis or Meryl Streep in, in that I can't wait to watch her win an Oscar one day. We know it's coming. It's going to be so good. She, I agree with Gina. She is, I'm so happy to be part of a generation where in the future, I'm going to tell my kids, oh, she's, she's one of the greats from my time. <laughs> like one thing that like many people don't talk about with Uzo, she's a dark skinned black woman. What can say? Mm. And Hollywood has this thing towards light-skinned Black women, your Halle Berry's of the world. So it's really inspiring to me to see Uzo be given these roles. The producers on the show could have easily given this role to somebody else, but they chose Uzo. And I think that speaks to their credit with casting, not only in, in making this a predominantly female cast, but really trying to be equal and fair in casting and letting someone like Tracy Ullman have dramatic chops and not just kind of like writing her off as oh she's a comedian and then allowing Uzo a very dark skinned black woman to play Shirley Chisholm it's just so inspiring to me I love reading TV recaps after each episode and I know some publications had issue with the fact that everyone got their own episodes like they didn't I guess some thought it didn't give the characters a chance to interact with one another but I actually really like the format that they went with because you got to get these characters really fleshed out. And on that note, I think they did a great job having them intersect. Even if the moments were like very brief, it felt, I don't know, it kind of felt like a documentary. It felt like real life. Like they didn't overly dramatize things. It was just maybe they just have a quick conversation in a bar and that's it. Or they see each other walking on different sides of the street. I don't know. It was just, it felt really real. And I I really loved Chisholm's episode, especially where she thought her phone was tapped. And it was, it kind of reminded me of watching Gene Hackman in the conversation, just seeing her unscrew the phone and unscrewing the air vent and just like talking into the air vent. 
<laughs> well, the thing is, the Nixon administration did not like Shirley Chisholm, and they very well may have tapped her. <laughs> and the beauty of the scene is they they execute it in a slight comedic way. And I really, I don't know, it it felt more lighthearted than it should have. And I really yeah. like that. I just, I really love that entire episode. Yeah, it was like, even though it, it was a powerful moment for feminism, it's interesting to think about the context, especially the beginning of the show. The beginning of the series takes place during like, the calm before Watergate. Also, the Vietnam War is kind of happening at the same time. And I, it was just so great to me. Like you said, it was a documentary. You're kind of blurring all of that off of the surface and just really focusing on these people and what's going on in their lives. They're just trying to do their day to day instead of putting them in the context of the larger political landscape. And I love a good character study. And that's like one of the reasons why I loved all of those singular character episodes. Like I just love, I could watch an entire TV show about one character that's only about that one character, Breaking Bad, <laughs> plug, I love that show. And I, I thought that it was a really smart idea to just focus each episode, at least in the first half, on one character. So you get to learn a little bit more about them as people as opposed to just someone in a history textbook. And they're able to shine a light on parts of feminism that I guess people don't really talk about. It's it's not just Gloria Steinem. There are so many other key players in this movement. And I think the singular episodes really shined a light on that. I mean, even Ari Grainer's character, I didn't even know about her and I really love the moment where she's just sitting with Ruth Bader Ginsburg because she helped yeah. she a lot of work for the ACLU. And I was, it was, I didn't even realize until after. I was like, wait, that was Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yeah, it took me a second. Oh, an RPG. I love it when they insert huge characters, like historical figures in there real quickly. And then you're like, hey, wait, was that who I think it was? Like, in the last episode, when they were calling <laughs> Ronald Reagan Ron, that was just such a trip to me, because at one point, I guess he was just Ron. <laughs> I think there were some moments, too, though, where where it that did take me out of things a little bit. I think the moments with the ladies were a little bit more well done, but things, um, times like... Where, where Phyllis is introduced to Paul Manafort and Roger Stone. Oh my uh, inside, God. I was just screaming, absolutely screaming, because, wow, the, like, like they, they suckled at the metaphorical, political teat of this woman. There's so much poison in our society from, from that time, and we haven't excised that. <laughs> And I didn't know much about James Marsden's character at all. Uh, Phil Crane, a congressman from Illinois. Uh, he apparently was in office until 2005. Wow. Yeah. He, he passed in 2014 and he just seemed like a skeevy person. Marsden <laughs> <laughs> played that character very well. I keep saying character are real people. Bear with me with that. 
No, no, he he played him very well. And just reading about him and and how he kind of was a creep in in real life, James Marsden did him justice. (laughs) Also that scene uh, in Houston where Phyllis is kind of surrounded by all of the men and they're making Mm -hmm. jokes. That was just so like so triggering to me i've definitely worked in situations where i've been the only woman and had to deal with men being dicks and and just having to like bite down on my feelings just because i want to get through the work Mm -hmm. and i kind of loved and hated how that made me feel something for phil schlafly especially at the end of the season when she she does all this because she wants an appointment in the cabinet that's like her ultimate end game. And at the end of the day, she's still seen as a woman and a too outspoken woman because Reagan just goes with the safe choice in his eyes of getting someone who's pro ERA. And that just really stung because at the end of the day, she just wants to be heard and she's too loud and she's told to sit down and peel the apples. Oh, great nod to uh, one of my favorite movies um a movie whose title i cannot pronounce because it's long jean jean delmon it i'm i'm butchering it but it's it's a great movie about it's it follows a housewife throughout a day of activity and it's they shot it just like a scene where she's peeling i think it was potatoes it was it was really good oh yeah i and it's it's very ironic because it's very it's a it's a very it's considered a very feminist film. So I think the um, mirroring of the first and final seasons and how we first witness Phyllis and how we leave Phyllis in in the series is also so poignant in in that she at at the end of the day she very much is framed as like still a housewife and obviously like she was much more than than just a housewife but that for all of her effort she that she didn't get what she wanted it's kind of interesting because it plays into something that's happening like currently with women tearing down women uh Allison Roman (laughs) And, and how she just was so quick to go after Chrissy Teigen and Marie Kondo and I think that's one of the things that the show also kind of plays into is women being mean to women. Because at the end of the day, the crux of this debate was women on one side and women on the other. And if we could all just come together collectively, we could fight the patriarchy united as one. I, I don't want to say that people don't fight hard for what they want now, but it's really interesting to see how technology plays a huge role in how we fight for the things that we want now. Gina mentioned it earlier about how it feels like we do a lot just by sending out a tweet in solidarity, but it's unless you're making a donation or you're marching with people, you're not really contributing. And it was really, it was slightly like painful to watch just all the work that went into this effort to get the ERA passed or on the opposing side to stop it. Like these women did a lot of work to fight for what they wanted. And it's, 
it's interesting to see how people do that today. Yeah, it's yeah. an Instagram story that's been shared a billion times or a tweet or... And it's it's interesting for me to say this because I, I work in social media. Like, I, I send out so many tweets, but it's, I don't know, like, when, when something happens, it's, my prayers go out to so-and-so, and it's just yeah. like, stop... It's not. It's not the same as, as doing action or really trying to affect change. Thank you for putting it more eloquently. <laughs> <laughs> I get when parents are like, "Well, back in my day," and I'm like, "Yeah, certain things were definitely much more poetic back in your day." Like to see how they fought against the Vietnam War, how feminists worked so hard to try to get the ERA to pass and the civil rights movement, like all these things that were happening. And now it just, I don't know. It feels, it feels different now. Yeah, it definitely does. Like there, there are bright spots. Obviously the women's March is a bright spot. Black lives matter. And what they're trying to do is, is a bright spot, but it definitely feels like back in the seventies, they had figured this out how to really politically organize and affect change and we've kind of lost that maybe due in part to Phyllis Schlafly and the work that she did maybe not but we won't really know and, and that's the thing that about this whole show that makes it so interesting to me is that would we have the conservative right if Phyllis Schlafly didn't decide to speak up I think we would have, and I think you you see hints of that or, or indicators of that throughout the show. I think where Phyllis was possibly most instrumental in her organizing was her mailing list, actually. And so I think like that's really interesting to think about in terms of um, audience development and the way that audiences are targeted and... Um, communicated with in in our modern era because Phyllis Schlafly's mailing list was essentially um sort of like the the 70s um precursor to audience lists on Facebook and audience lists in Google and micro-targeting with specific messages and uh occasional misinformation to really skew um one group of people towards one specific action. I just thought it was so funny how in in the episode when her mailing list really comes into play, that Gloria Steinem was kind of sounding the alarm and Bella and and Gloria and uh, Betty for Dan are like, oh it's fine. She's like, no guys, she got the Mormons and the Presbyterians and the Jews together. You know <laughs> one. This is not okay. The, the scene where she's getting her mailing list on a floppy disk and her, um, I forget the name of the, the mousy woman. Rosemary. Yes. <laughs> Wonderfully <laughs> despicable character. Um, she's like, what's that? And Phyllis is just like, oh, it's called a floppy disk. And I'm like, no, that's a weapon. She's <laughs> sending them her mailing list. <laughs> but I mean, even her desire to get the other woman's mailing list they know the important Mm -hmm. outreach that other woman terrified me but oh my gosh the scene where she rips the rose and it's just like okay yeah 
There that were was... so many scary white women. Yes. <laughs> so many, like, uh, precursors to the debate that's happening. Because at the same time that this was going on, Roe versus Wade was... Mm. And it just seems like everything was just a big pyre. And Roe versus Wade kind of threw on top and, and started some flames. This whole ERA thing was piled into the mix and started some more flames. Joe Sloffley comes along and throws some gasoline on it. And then it just kind of ignites. And yeah, it was just really scary to watch all of this. Looking back now, four years into it. <laughs> And, and seeing how all of these things have their origins in the 1970s. The the show briefly touched upon it, but what were her connections to the Ku Klux Klan? Uh, that woman uh, was not was willing to turn a blind eye to it, but under the guise of we all feel the same way about good family values. So not officially was she associated with the Ku Klux Klan, but Bill Softly and others in Eagle Forum weren't opposed to what they were about. If it meant bringing more people to a rally. I mean, naturally, when you tap in women, white women from the South. Yeah, it's yeah. going to happen. <laughs> I think that also, too, is a really interesting picture that or, of comparison that was shown between the conservative women and the liberal women, particularly, I think, emphasized in the Houston episode where they are shown in the hotel room that Sarah Paulson's character is crashing in and how they are painstakingly going through every single point and every single consideration or possible objection that all the different committees have raised. Whereas the way that Phyllis's movement and the conservative women approached conflict resolution was that conflict was not even really or very rarely explicitly stated. And there was so much maneuvering of false smiles and almost like double speak when it came to talking about like family values with quotes. You could tell, like, everybody knew what was being spoken about, but the way that everything was coded, I'm at a loss for words. There, yeah, there's, there's a word for it. It's called yeah. dog, dog whistle politics. So it was very dog whistle politics. So using family values as an umbrella for racism, homophobia, xenophobia, and anti-abortion rhetoric. Oh, right, right, right. Yes. But it's also, I think, um, how, how nowadays sometimes, like where, where or when people will want to speak frankly about politics, many white women will demur and say like, oh, like this is, you know, this is too intense. Like we need to be able to talk about this like in a calm way or in a reserved manner. It's like the respectability aspect of it that, that I think there's so much emphasis on the appearance of these women and their dedication to appearing as powerful, but like not overwhelming to men. They appear to be, you know, like homely housewives who had their hearts in good order that that's pasting over 
the brutality of their actions and the callousness of their views and and really the the evil of their values. I think that was really well portrayed in the scene where Sarah Paulson tries to go against the women from the South when she's like, we can't have these women representing us because of some of the incredibly racist things they just said. Yeah. Like, we can't be associated with this. I also thought it was portrayed really well by Kate Blanchett when she was trying to turn a blind eye to one of her members who was very apparent that she was in an abusive marriage. Yeah. Didn't want to let her out and just wanted her as a baby-making machine. And it was like you said, Gina, she just kept trying to put on this veneer of it's okay and sweep it under the rug and this is your act and this is your role and you must play it. And the show really does a good job displaying that. I, at the beginning of the show, I really, I sat there thinking, I hope this character gets really fleshed out like Sarah Polson's did. But as I was watching it, I realized she's not, she's not here to do what Sarah Paulson does, which you said in a conversation we had last week, she's the woman that says no to the to stop ERA. Whereas the the housewife who's clearly in an abusive relationship, she's just there to show that, yeah, like, this is the reality. Some of these women just stay put in their unfortunate situations. And it's also used to paint Phyllis Schlafly as a mean character and it was it was really great to watch Sarah Paulson just drunkenly say that to her like when did you, when did you get so mean yeah you know? and it's it's ironic because Phyllis Phyllis I almost combined her name and her, Phyllis <laughs> has been treating Sarah Paulson's character terribly from the beginning like she undermines the woman who was supposedly her best friend always. And that, that scene where she has a dream of Phyllis telling her to fix her face is terrifying. Yeah. Oh, that is such a good point. Like to the people saying that this was redemption for Phyllis Schlafly, this whole thread and storyline makes me think, no, this is not a redemption story. This is just, pure unbiased history really it didn't feel like the story was taking one side over the other it was just kind of portraying what happened and I really loved that about the show and going off that not to play into this whole women fighting against other women but that's why I thought her ending was very satisfying to me yeah she, she didn't get what she really wanted like this is a show about women trying to get what they want and the ERA is like a bigger picture, but Phyllis wants to get ahead in the world. She wants power. And in the show, we're left to assume that, yeah, Reagan just completely fucks her over. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, that's why I loved the last scene where she's just peeling apples. I was like, yeah, take that. Even yeah, though dessert quickly. You are actually making a huge contribution to the right. And in reality, yes, Reagan fucked her over, but that only fueled her rise even yeah. more. Even if for a brief moment to see her sad was 
very satisfying. It's so satisfying to me. It was also satisfying to me to see how John Slatterly became Mr. Phyllis Lawfully. <laughs> and their role reversal. Like she, but she also, as you were saying, Gina, she knew her power and she held herself back a lot to make him happy. Like always giving him sex whenever he wanted it, even if she didn't want it, which they showed that in one episode. And I thought that was eye opening. That was a really uncomfortable watch. Yeah. Always having dinner at six o'clock. You know when it is. It's always at six. It never changes. And always asking him for permission in air quotes, but kind of bending him to her will. In the scene where Reagan, she has to go meet Reagan's people and her daughter is stuck at school. And then Sarah Paulson's character ends up picking her up. And that like, tug and push and pull between their marriage of her trying not to look too empowered against the women she's fighting against but trying to remain the housewife is just an interesting dichotomy I think it's also interesting um, and I, I haven't seen too much of this analysis out there but the, the title of the show Mrs. America and the opening where uh the Phyllis Schlafly character is clearly partaking like in, in a pageant. Um, Mrs. America is the name of that pageant and it's sort yeah. of to find the, you know, the, the best American housewife. And in, in so many respects, like Phyllis was not that, like Phyllis was not an attentive mother. Phyllis was not, uh, you know, she, she barely cooked. It, it was her black um, housekeeper who did everything. Yeah. Um, Phyllis was not a great wife in, in a lot of respects. And Phyllis was just kind of like really out there for herself. Um, the ironic thing about the entire stuff here <laughs> with women is that it was being led by a feminist. Yeah. I mean, to Gina's point, like, it's obviously she was trying so hard to push back on the ERA, but in the end, she was doing all this for herself. Yeah. And I think that came across really well, show, like, which is why the ending is so satisfying. She didn't get what she wanted. Can we talk? brief second about the intro oh my god the opening oh. scene title sequence that's that the word. sequence that should get an Emmy too like I think you and I Ezra both agree that Mad Men is one of the best title sequences ever in this new golden age of TV but I would say that we have a new winner this is America I love I... that song from Saturday Night Fever the rip on Beethoven's Fifth. I love how vivid and bright and colorful it was. Oh, stunning. I just, I really like, it's, I like to think of this whole show as a game. It's kind of like, where's Waldo? Like, each <laughs> episode, trying to find different little Easter eggs. Or it's, hey, that's Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the couch. Or in the credits, you see covers of Ms. Magazine. It was just, it, it was kind of like a cool game, like trying to find all the things that you already know. And then after the show, you go and research the things you don't know. 
that was my experience with the show and it, it was wonderful and I'm so sad it's over and you know my stance I prefer mini series and limited series but by god I want more you know my stance I prefer multi-season sagas any day give me a show that's two to five seasons in length <laughs> that's my happy space make it a drama make it a historical fiction drama make it a character study historical fiction multi-season drama I'm there I'm good with it being done. <laughs> it's pretty I'm perfect. I'm binging it. And one of the, the best things for me about watching this show is that I watch it. My husband kind of was half watching it. And we were having like serious discussions last night about the feminist movement. And he wants to watch it with me now from start to finish to learn more. Yay. Yeah, I This is one of those shows where I would de- like rewatching it would be really fun because you've obviously missed certain things. I mean, we had to, so you can kind of pick and choose and see what those things were the next time. I'd actually really like to watch them. She remembers this time really well. We would have to watch it with subtitles though, because her English is not 100% great, but I love watching the subtitles. <laughs> and to that point of like if you want more I find CNN's decade documentary series are really I was gonna say yeah I as soon as I finished the show I started watching like the 1970s it was I think it's such a really well done documentary that I think is a great companion to the show I was really blown away by Be Kind Rewind's video on what to watch if you're watching Mrs. America so I watched Nine to Five, Watermelon Woman, Jean Delmont. I'm sorry, I can't pronounce the whole title or even that part, but it's really great to watch these feminist movies from that decade. All right. It sounds like our consensus on this show is that everybody should go watch it. This entire series is essential. It's perfect television, and I don't say that a lot. It really is. I found myself, you know when you watch a good show and it feels like two minutes have passed, but it's really 45? That's how I felt about this show. I, I, personally, I can tell I really like a show when I don't skip the intro. Like, Hulu's like, you want to skip the intro? And I'm like, no, how dare you? And that wraps up another episode of The Essentials. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Thank you.